I think somebody said, um, have you done these before? Well, I have done Lent courses before, yes. Have I done these uh, uh, courses looking at, at Luke like this? No, never. And actually, I, I, what I'm finding fascinating, I don't know about you, but I'm finding interesting things. Uh, I hope that you do the same. I'm happy to share what I've found, if you see what I mean. But it's, isn't it lovely that even if you've been studying the Bible for 50 years, there's something fresh that comes out of a passage you think you know well. You may know backwards, even. So um, I hope that uh, you'll find that tonight. Now, health warning. Um, I'm going to, we're going to have an experiment tonight. We're going to try a three-course meal. Yes, right. The first course I'm going to offer you, and the second course, and then the third course I'm going to ask you to do it yourself. And that's the purpose of the handout. Inside the handout is a section to look at with some questions, and we're going to suggest that we divide up into groups. And uh, just to be really, really clear, that the, we are com it's completely e all equal opportunities and all of that stuff. The, the two beta groups are going to be on their own because they're special. No, because they just would like to be together. <laughs> okay, so the two beta groups, are, but everybody else will just be invited to form a group with somebody near you uh, so you can hear each other. We'll probably sort of distribute ourselves around the church uh, and work through course number three, which is the third section here. Simon Peter, a practical businessman. For those of you who weren't here last time, just a, a quick reminder that uh, in Lent, I, I like in Lent to an MOT to see how your discipleship with Jesus is going. And here's a chance to, as it were, look at Peter as a disciple tonight, and then look at him and look at ourselves and say, can we learn from him? So a disciple is somebody who follows somebody and wants to learn from them and be like them. If somebody says to you, Simon Peter, what do you think of him? In one word, what comes to mind? Just, I'm interested. Rock? Sorry? Impetuous. Yes. Fisherman? Headstrong? Okay. Well, let's see as what comes out tonight. I think all of those, can, you can find... Um, Examples of that in the narratives, really. So that's Peter. Well, now, just by way of um, helping set the scene, uh, here are four uh, images of Peter. The first is a statue, which you can find in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, in the Vatican City, rather, th uh, slide three. And that was made in bronze, cast in bronze in 1300. By now, you see, Peter had been seen to become the leader, not just of the disciple group, but eventually of the, church, the early church. And therefore, he's now the forerunner of the Pope. And that's why he sits on this throne and he has a halo. Uh, and he holds, do you see, in his hand some keys. Do you remember Jesus saying he, he would have the keys? So that's, that's 1,300. That's nearly, what, 700 and something years ago. And then... Uh, El Greco painted Peter just after he he let Jesus down and denied him. And this is, the, the, the title is The Repentant Peter. The Peter who, who, as it says in the text, we'll look at in a minute, wept bitterly after he realized he denied Jesus. But somebody, I won't, I won't say who it is, Janet, sorry, who it is, uh, said to me that 
Um, all these great old-fashioned arty pictures don't do a lot for me. Was that what you said? Something like that. So I know other people come to see um, characters of the Bible through films about them. So um, here are two films which were about Peter. The first starred... Um, were you, who, who's this? Oh, it tells you at the top, sorry. <laughs> there you go. Omar Sharif, who was also in... Um, what was it? Dr. No, Dr. Zhivago, yes. And his character is Peter, the older, the solid hero figure, as you can probably get from the way he's, he's there. Um, so that was, that was filmed in 2005. And then more recently, somebody called Darwin Shaw, who I've not come across until I did some homework on this, he plays Peter in the film The Son of God, which is filmed in 2014, only a couple of years ago. And this is the bit where Jesus gets into his boat and, and says to Peter, let's go fishing. And Peter says, you've got to be joking. Really? I've been out all night. Can you see it in him? Yeah. It's great. <laughs> now, what is interesting, though, both of those actors, Omar Sharif and this guy, Darwin Shaw, said afterwards that they were spiritually moved by playing this character and they weren't the same by the end of the film as they were at the beginning. Isn't it amazing the power of somebody like that? Well, what we're going to do then, we're going to say, let's have a look at uh, three courses. And just by way of a quick reminder, we're going to use the narrative approach to reading. Uh, and there are just two slides just to whip through it quite quickly. So the next slide sets out. Narrative reading suggests that we work with one narrative, one gospel at a time. We start with the big picture, and then we zoom into the close little detail, and we do our cultural homework on what it was like in first century Palestine. Well, we, we said that last week, and I'll say that at the beginning of each time for those who, if there's anybody here who's just come. So that's the background, and then when we actually do it, the next slide will show you how we actually do it. What we do, you start with the story, and you just become familiar with it. You read a section, a passage, um, and as you read that and you get into it, then we have the opportunity to put ourselves into the shoes of one of the characters so we see the story unfold from their point of view. And tonight, and through this series, we'll be looking at the difference between Jesus, the interaction between Jesus and a character, and we'll look at it from the character's point of view and then from Jesus' point of view. And so today we'll be looking at Peter and how he sees what unfolded around him. And then we're going to look at Jesus and see how Jesus sees it and see, uh, sees, see how that comes together. I mean, it's, it's quite interesting to, to do this. It's, I think it's good to look at the disciple. Once you've got the story and you're already sort of home with it, to look at the disciple who's wrestling with something or other. Because often that gives the question. That builds the sort of sense of, do you know, I'm like that sometimes. And then when you look in the way Jesus looks at it, you sort of get Jesus' response and Jesus' view on people like that. So Jesus, if you, if you do it in that order, uh, disciple then Jesus, you find that Jesus actually ministers to the disciple. Well, finally, when you've done that, some people can come up with really some wacky ideas. And can I say, wacky ideas are fine as long as you're willing to change them if they don't seem to fit the passage. So try out a new idea and then take it back to the story and say, well, now, does this still work? 
I've, I've been doing Bible teaching for a number of years now, and I've invited people to do that, uh, and they've come back with some really interesting, fresh thoughts that I had never myself seen. And I'm sure you'll, you'll probably do the same tonight. I hope so. Well then, let's get going. Oh, I should say one other thing. Uh, when we're talking about these sections that we're going to look at now, the three courses, in 1227, the Archbishop of Canterbury said, too many people are getting lost in the Bible, and so I will now set out chapter headings for the whole of the Bible. And he did. Before that... That was rather nice. Before that, the Bible just had continuous text, like a novel. They're not even chapter headings, just a continuous book form. And you can imagine finding your way around to a good time. Well, once that had taken on, that was in, the, in 1227, um, a rabbi then went through the Old Testament a bit later on and put verses inside each of the chapters. And then somebody else called Septimus went and did it, Cephanus went and did it in the New Testament in 1555. They are, you don't need to remember any of that. But what I'm trying to say is that some of the narratives don't stop and start where these reference points are. They are to help us find our way to a point in the text, but they're not always naturally where the story flows. And sometimes you can flow right beyond that. Right, the last question before we get into the text is that I've had a suggestion. Uh, um, would any of you like to have... I haven't run this by Rob yet. Would, would it help if you had the PowerPoint before the evening so you could uh, either mug it up, unlikely, or print it off so you could scribble on it, possibly more likely? If, if, if you like that, I'm happy to talk to Rob and see if we can print it up a bit earlier, a day earlier. That, should we try that? We've got some nods. Okay, you're on. So by Tuesday evening, the PowerPoint for next Wednesday will be up. Uh, courtesy of the staff team. Yes, he's nodding. And, and that will get, for, for some people, they like to bring something and write something on. Do you know, when I was a teacher, I, I discovered this. Perhaps other teachers know this. Do you know, if you give somebody a handout, say like this, they can be completely lost. And then they go out the door like this and they feel, I've learned something. And because they think they've learned something, they're a happier chap or chapess. And because they're a happier chap or chapess, they actually are more open to learning. So it's like, um, it's like a placebo, really, giving handouts. <laughs> it helps people feel better. Well, you're welcome. So then let's move on. These are the three sections I'd like to suggest. The next slide will introduce them for us. Uh, we start with the big picture. We zoom in. Uh, this is just uh, a whole of the Gospel of Luke looks like this. And the next slide again. That's from last time. And you remember that was the arrival, the ministry in Galilee, the ministry on the way to Jerusalem, the ministry in Jerusalem, and then the resurrection. And we, the, what we're going to do now, the Peter, Peter figures quite large in two sections of the ministry in Galilee, and one section overlaps with the passion and the resurrection. So that looks like this. If we do go to the next slide, um, Galilee, remember, in the north, Jerusalem down in the south. So Jesus' ministry is here up in the north, and a lot of the stories are there. And in that early period, Jesus has just wanted to call disciples to him and explain and show what the kingdom of God's like. Once the journey to Jerusalem comes, there's much more taking on the religious institutions and showing them that God has a way and it isn't the way that they presently follow. So the next slide. Simon Peter 
makes a start. So if we, if we just run, I think we do those first three slides together. So the first part of Simon, he starts as a disciple. Um, that's when he's called, and we're going to look at that to begin with. Then the next one is when he actually uh, goes with Jesus up onto the mountain. And on the next slide, you'll see that comes up. And uh, that's the transfiguration, remember, uh, and Jesus wanted, uh, Simon wanted to offer to build some booths there, some shelters. And then the last section with Peter is here. And that's Simon when he fails as a disciple. And what I, why I thought this was interesting for us is that in, in these three episodes, you've got Simon starting out. Now, there's some people here who already started out as Christians quite recently or just got going again after a gap. Then you've got Simon learning as a disciple. And then you've got Simon having to handle his failure. He's let Jesus down. And I find in my ministry that actually there are some people who are dogged by having failed. They can't believe that Jesus would ever forgive them for that. And they've, they've said to me, I know my life is second best. The rest of my life will be second best. That sort of language especially if you weren't a Christian for a lot of your life, and maybe you led a very complicated life with many relationships or what, it's very easy for us to say, you, you know, really. Well, Jesus wants to say to you and to us all that he has the last word. We don't. And I, my instinct is that most Christians are harder on themselves than Jesus is. Would you agree? Yeah. Do you know, I went for... I keep an occasional spiritual journal. You know, when something happens, I write in it. Uh, but it's not every day. Um, and after a year, I went off to a retreat, and I took my journal writings, and I read through them prayerfully, just to say, Lord, what have I learned from you this year? And then I spent some time in prayer, and God gave me a picture. Now, I don't always, I don't often have pictures, but this was a really clear picture. And in it, there was me kneeling by my bed, praying, and there was Jesus looking at me, and there was me as well looking at me. So there's me praying, me looking, and Jesus looking. And Jesus says to me, standing up looking at me, kneeling, lay off him. He's all right. I was the one who was saying, look, you're rubbish. Look, you've let him down. Look, you failed. And I was actually, it was, it was a release. It was just wonderful, right? So I offer you that. Well, shall we begin properly? Next slide, please. The overview is like this. And the next slide. Luke 4, 38 through to 6, 16. He makes a beginning. We will do, we'll, do, we'll use the text in just a moment. But it begins by Jesus going to Simon's house where Simon's mother-in-law was not very well. And he heals her, and, there's a gather, and, and a lot of people gather outside the house and come for healing as well. Do you remember that hymn? It's, it's quite an old one. Um, At even ere the sun was set. Yes? That's what it refers to. That time when people just kept knocking on the door. They were having supper. Jesus was in there. There's some more here, Lord. <laughs> Could you help them? Could you help me? Could you help my aunt? And then you remember next morning, Jesus, he stayed overnight, it seems, then got up early and went out to pray, and they said, some more have come. 
come and help him. Jesus said, I've prayed, and, and my father says, I must go on to preach in the other villages. So he didn't go back. And there was a queue there waiting, so I don't know what they did. Jesus then went to all on the, uh, the, the shore, got into Simon's boat, taught the crowd from the boat, went out fishing, uh, had this big call, big, big catch of fish, which really startled uh, Simon. And then there's the calling of the first disciples. Then Jesus walks on some more and meets a tax collector, calls him. We're looking at some of the tax collectors later on. Then there's the travels around in Luke 6. And then in a, after a, a time of prayer, Jesus selects 12 people, including Simon, to be his apostles. So the disciples are many more than just the 12. So, if you'd like to open at Luke 4.38. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon... Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, so they asked Jesus to help her. He bent over her, rebuked her, the fever, and it left, and she got up at once and began to wait on him. Look just before there. Verses 31 to 37 is Jesus in the synagogue at Capernaum. Verse 38, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. It was almost as if Luke is saying to us, some of the people from Simon's home were actually at synagogue that day. Now, in those days, men and women could go to the synagogue. It wasn't like that in the temple where they had separate courts for the women. And so somebody was there and said to Jesus, there's somebody not very well, could you help? And it seems that Jesus left the synagogue and went to Simon's, Simon's home. Now, is there anything there that strikes you as a tad unusual? Shall I give you a clue? Who's missing? Simon. He's not there. It's Simon's home and his mother's and law staying. Where's Simon? Now, the only clue I think we get later on is that in, in a bit, Simon talks to Jesus about he was a fisherman who went out at night. He did the night shift. And it may be that he'd gone off fishing already. And by the time he came back in the morning, Jesus had already moved on. So this is the first contact Simon has with Jesus. He misses him. <laughs> Not bad, really, is it? Not deliberately. It just happens like that. Okay, so Simon was a fisherman. What do we know about fishermen? If we move on to the next slide, here's a picture painted in the 12th century of, of fishermen who worked uh, in Palestine. This is the cultural studies bit. There was um, a sort of a, lots of small fishermen's groups or partnerships who set themselves up as little entrepreneurs, and, uh, and Simon was one of those. He had done well enough to have a crew that worked for him, and he had a boat, and he had partners, James and John. So he was a bit of an entrepreneur, was Simon. 
In fact, I think he's very much like somebody from the West Midlands. You could almost say the black country. He was somebody who was a practical man. He was decisive. He knew what he wanted. He went for it. Stood no nonsense. Spoke his mind. Uh, um, called a hammer, whatever you call a hammer in Aramaic. Um, and was very straightforward. I don't know how he was terribly religious, really. It certainly seems to be he wasn't in the synagogue at that time when they came back. But there he is. That, that was the kind of life they lead. But I think he did quite well, because today, if the archaeologists have told us, they've, they've dug up a house which is known locally as Peter's House, and it's quite a, a large establishment, um, as some of these fishing, these fishing partnerships did. And in 1986, there was a drought, and in that drought, the, the water sea level in the Sea of Galilee went really low, and they discovered a boat. And you can see it here in the next slide. This is called the Galilee boat. And actually, it has been carbon dated to 2,000 years ago. This was exactly the type of boat that Peter would have had. Quite large. You could have got uh, quite a few people in it as a crew. And, well, you would. You wouldn't have brought in the, in the, uh, the fish. However, although some, he, so he was a minor entrepreneur, a blue-collar entrepreneur, if you like, with quite a bit of wealth, but they, um, Cicero that day said um, the fishermen hadn't, weren't terribly well thought of, actually. Um, he said that the most shameful occupations are, first of all, fish sellers, and second, butchers. So why, I don't know. So Simon was there, but he wasn't, in society, he was just an artisan who'd done rather well. So on to the next slide. I want us to enter into Simon's mind now and go through this sequence as if we were Simon. So it begins like this. Simon knows about Jesus because he healed his mother-in-law when he wasn't there. But Simon is a fisherman, a practical man. And so you'll see, uh, if you go back to the text, 4.38 was when we started, um, and then turning over, chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus walking along the lake. There, he's at the water's edge, verse 2, he saw two boats. He got into one of the boats, the one, the one belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And, I, and Simon knew this was. They'd all said, this is Jesus. This is the one who healed your mum. You can imagine it, can't you? So Jesus said, um, can I use your boat to preach from? Well, what's Simon going to say? No. Absolutely, no. Of course, no. Fair deal. You did a good job, you know. Mum's feeling very good, thank you. So Jesus gets into the boat and fishes. And then Jesus says to Simon, if you look carefully there, Verse 4, when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and we haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, all right, I'll let down the nets. And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners of the boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats, so full that they began to sink. 
When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Do you notice how Simon's changed the way he addresses Jesus? What did he say first of all in verse 5? Master. Yes, 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 sir. Yes, sir. But this has shaken him. And he realises there's much more going on in Jesus than just him being a master. And so he now uses the much more respectful term, Lord, which was used in general use for those who were senior and held really senior positions. But it was also the word that was used amongst the Jews to describe God. And so, although he doesn't think Jesus is God yet, quite probably, he's on the way. But certainly... He's aware that God is at work in this man, Jesus. And he says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. He and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish. Well now, what does Jesus say to him? Yes, you are. Thanks for the loan of the boat, I'm off. No. He comes to him, he says, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. And Peter looked at him and said, What is this? He still wants me. And so when they got to the shore, Peter left everything and followed him. And that was Peter beginning as a disciple, as he saw it. Now put yourself in Jesus' shoes and let's look at it from Jesus' point of view. So on the next slide, this is how I suggest Jesus approached it. Jesus knows about Simon because his mother-in-law wouldn't stop talking about him. You know that they do, don't they? I've got a lovely son-in-law. He's done very well, you know. He started some more. He's now got three boats. He's got 47 men going fishing with him. Really, says Jesus. And let me tell you some more about him. And Jesus says, all right then. (laughs) So, Jesus knows about Simon, but he hasn't met him. But he'd like to meet him. And so he walks along the shore, and he sees Simon there. What does he see? A working man who's built up a partnership. He's, He's got a fish franchise in Capernaum. He's He's somebody who does something, who makes things happen. Yes, says Jesus. This is, this is the man for me. And so I suggest that when he saw Simon there, he thought, I will ask him to borrow his boat. Now, there you are. Isn't that a great way of... Inter- you know, it's not just men, I know, but men often, I find, are much more open to a conversation if you ask them to do something or ask to borrow something. It's amazing. Can I borrow your spanner? Oh, yes, I can tell you a tale about that spanner. You were launched. <laughs> something to do with activity. It was interesting. When I was a vicar at Middleton, not far from here, or the Rect, as it was called, um, all, all the women used to come to the Bible study and the men used to come to the PCC. And I thought, well, I, I applauded the women giving time to studying the Bible, but I was not happy with the men missing out. So I said, listen, lads, this feeds us. This, we need this. So we'll start the PCC with a Bible study. And they said, what? 
<laughs> and we did. So here are these men, okay? Here's Jesus looking at Simon and saying, I've got my eye on you. I think you'll do. He wants to invite him to become a disciple. And so he's borrowed his boat. So now he said, but I need his attention now, says Jesus. How do I get an attention of a fisherman? I'll, I'll just do something to uh, surprise him. I'll wake him up. So, Peter, let's go fishing. Oh, and we have all right, Lord. So he goes out there. And then all these fish come crowding into the boat. And Peter, Peter's looking at Jesus. And Jesus is looking at Peter. And I suggest Peter saying, you got me there, didn't you? And Jesus is saying, yes, I did. I needed your attention. I wanted you to stop being busy about your work and to look at me and listen to me. And Peter did. And it was then he said, Lord, I, I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I, I can't do this. I'm just a sinful man. I told the story the other day of uh, an archdeacon asking people to be church wardens and this woman who said, uh, I'm not good enough. And I said, you're right. And we're still friends, but it took a while. <laughs> we are not good enough. And in a strange kind of way, that is our qualification for Jesus to include us. If you think you're good enough, Jesus said, well, when you've worked out you're not, we'll have another conversation. Simon's response to the catch is promising, I think, from Jesus' point of view, because Simon has worked out, Jesus, what is this? I am a sinful man. Go away. That's the beginning of a living faith. The realisation that we really are sinful and Jesus is not. And I think Jesus looked at Peter and thought, good on you, lad. That's just what I hope to hear. Come on, let's go. Are you up for it? And Peter says, yeah, all right. And off they went. So that's how I would suggest, did you see how you take the position of one, look at it, and then take the position of the other? And I think when you do that, it's, it's, it's really helpful to imagine how Jesus might be looking at Peter and therefore might be looking at us. Um, here are some of the thoughts that, uh, that struck me when I was actually looking at the, um, uh, how this might resonate with us today. I offer these to you, and then later you can do some of these yourselves. The first is this. Do you see how much Peter knows when he starts to follow Jesus? How much does he know about what he's let himself in for? Not a lot. No. Well, that's great, isn't it? Because most people start out as Christians like that. <laughs> you know, we don't know a lot. And the great thing is, you see, that to be a Christian is really to be a disciple, to be somebody in motion and movement following Jesus. All Jesus asks is, you come with me. I don't expect to, I'm not going to give you a test, a quiz. Uh, they may at APC give you quizzes, but I'm not. Just come with me and we'll learn together. And that's the heart of the thing. Uh, Jesus just takes us from where we are and says, let's go. Sometimes people can celebrate the time they became a Christian. I can do it. I can, I can tell you the date I became a Christian. It was a particular point in time. Um, 
somebody had said to me, uh, David, you know all about... Well, it started with my girlfriend, actually. We had a quiz in the youth group. I don't know whether you do them here. And it started with, what is your favourite colour? And it finished with, are you a real Christian? So it's those kind of fake quizzes, you know what I mean? So when we got to the, are you a real Christian, I wrote no, although I was one of the youth, youth club leaders, youth fellowship leaders. And my girlfriend, who was looking over my shoulder, Judy was her name, yeah, work that one out. Judy was looking over, over my shoulder. She said, David, I thought you were a Christian. Could you say the prayer so loudly, she said. <laughs> Dear Amy. I said, no, I'm not. I know what a Christian is. And I'm trying to keep Jesus at, at, at a distance. And one person, when I became a student, said to me, David, you know all this, don't you? I said, yes. Okay, he said, here's a question for you. Have you got a good reason for not following Christ. And because I, I enjoy debate and logic, and, and I said, no, I haven't actually. He says, gotcha. He said, well, do you want to follow Christ? And I said, yes. He said, right, do you want to do it now? I said, yep. So we knelt down at about one o'clock in the morning, as young people do, and I asked Jesus, who I've known about, to come into my life and become my Lord and Saviour. And it was great, really, because he said he was really chuffed and I said, well, thank you, Lord, well, I've given in at last. And uh, then he went off, to, and I got up next morning, I looked in the mirror, and, you know, I looked exactly the same. It, it, it was quite worrying, really. <laughs> I thought it was all supposed to be, you know, music happens and choirs appear from somewhere. But actually, when I met another Christian, I realised that we had a friendship with Jesus in common. I was part of a family. I'd been on the outside before. Now I've been welcomed into the family. So Peter... He viewed himself as someone who was too sinful for this. And Jesus had none of it. When we begin to follow, do you see what Peter says? He left everything behind, if you look there, brought the boats up onto the shore, left everything behind and followed him. He wanted to give everything to Jesus because he thought, this is the one for me. In fact, Jesus gave him back his house, his family, and his boat. But he was prepared to say, Lord, I want to be wholehearted. And I think it's, it's lovely that he, he, was, he was a model, really, for us today. If we want to start out as Christian, um, you don't need to know a lot. But Jesus does ask you to put him first, right at the beginning, at the end, the centre, the lot. And he says, just come with me, and together we'll do it. A friend of mine, Beryl, who's now actually quite old and in a ho residential home, um, she was the one I mentioned once when I was preaching who said my preaching made her feel bad. Do you remember? Some of you may remember. Oh, I, well, I was preaching in the cathedral in Birmingham where I was on the staff. And she said, David, I came to church to be encouraged. And after you preach, I feel discouraged. Well, first of all, you salute her for saying that to me, not to anybody else, but... <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She said, I thought I was a Christian. I came in here, but after I listened to you, I don't think I am. I said, well, tell me what a Christian is. Said, well, it's somebody who's kind. Yes, I said. And helps people. Yes. I said, but lots of people do that. What's a Christian, Beryl? And she, she didn't know anything beyond that. And when the penny dropped and she did become a Christian, it was wonderful. She realised she wasn't, and she came more avidly and listened carefully. 
And I was preaching one day in the cathedral at, at a Good Friday service. And it was just like this. You were all like here looking at me. And at the back, Beryl came in. And only I could see her. And in the um, reflection and prayer of commitment, she thought this was the moment to welcome Jesus into her life. Uh, this transpired afterwards. And all I could see was that Beryl, who'd been kneeling at the back, suddenly got up and started dancing silently across the cathedral. The Lord had just come in. I, I'm seeing it again now. It's wonderful. That's all Jesus is asking us, that we open our lives and allow him the centre thing, the central place. So there's Peter and how he started out. And isn't it lovely that Jesus doesn't hold things against him? As far as Jesus is concerned, I think Jesus had his eye on Peter before Peter knew it. Sorry, Simon, he hasn't become Peter just yet. Jesus was looking out for him on that beach, I think. And when he saw him, he thought, this is the man for me. He, in, the, in the best sense, he was on the search for, for Simon. Where are you? Where are you? Because I want you to follow me and become part of my family. And he was going around, as it were, until he spotted him. And then he chose the boat. And then he said... What language will the fisherman understand? And he did this amazing trick with fish. Well, that's all it was. It was to get Peter's attention, I think. Oh, my, oh, no, they, they could have sold the fish and it would, it would have helped, of course. But Peter, Simon Peter, was the object of Jesus' desire and love. And I think that's what I think everybody who's a Christian wakes up to eventually. That we don't become a Christian because suddenly we decide it's a good idea. We become a Christian because we've woken up to the fact that Jesus is already looking at us. He's, he's walked with us. He's followed us. He thinks you're great. He really does. And he'd like you to be his and to walk through life together. Uh, C.S. Lewis, some of you may remember C.S. Lewis. He wrote lots of books, um, the Narnia series of children's stories and other books about being a Christian. He held Jesus at arm's length forever. And then he said, one night, I decided the one I'd been avoiding was still coming toward me, so I might as well give in. I knelt down, he says, he writes this in his book, Surprised by Joy, and I, I welcomed him into my life, and I became the most dejected and reluctant convert in the whole of England. <laughs> because he'd been fighting it. Jesus was looking, after, looking out for you before you turned to him. He's looking out for you now as you walk with him. And he's looking forward to welcoming you to heaven when we get to that stage. That's what beginning's about. Discovery that already we are known and loved. He knows your name. And he knows everything you've done. And he loves you and he thinks, it doesn't matter what you've done, come aboard. Isn't that, isn't that fabulous? Well, that's the first we've done. Uh, could I say that, that there's a pause now for anybody who'd like to make a, a question or two and then I'm going to suggest we just have a moment to turn anything that's spoken to you now into a prayer for yourself before we look at the second course. So any questions or comments?
Yes. I think whenever you sense, perhaps you may do it in, in worship, we might do it in a time of worship, or just in a time of reading scripture, when the purity of God begins to, as it were, peep through, I think all of us would feel that. We just feel ordinary and mixed, and we, what we've done with our lives, and mixed motives and so on. <clears throat> we haven't worshipped God, we've gone about building, in Peter's case, his business. Um, and it's the purity of, of Jesus compared to the, the muddle of our own lives, I suspect. But I don't know. But it, um, because I think something, else, we'll look at it in a moment, something else happens when he gets on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Again, he's, he's knocked over and he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> Again. Any other comments? Yes. 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 That's right. For the tape, uh, the, the, the comment is offered that actually it's a huge step. And what helped Peter take such a, a huge step, which put everything, his business and his family, at risk, as it were? Yeah. Um, well, I think it might go back to something about the character of Jesus. He was, uh, Peter, that he was impetuous. But I also think, like a businessman, he, he weighs it up and says, if this is it, we're going to do it. He doesn't suspend hours debating it and writing to you know, 27 committees. He just says, chick, 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 and that's it. And he, may, and he, he does sometimes regret that, but he, that, I think it's the way he was. But what is interesting, too, that do you see that it's not just Peter, it's James and John. So it, they're not doing it on their own. Do you know, we're so individualistic today. I think to become a Christian, the best way to become a Christian is to start with others and to walk with others. Because you can compare notes. You can say, I'm stuck on this, but this is what I found helpful, and so on. So I think there was the encouragement of the others who'd also seen this. When I say trick, that's slightly cheapening it, but I do mean it was done for a purpose, and it was, I think it was to get Peter's attention. To say, I hope lad. Okay. The last thing I would say just about Peter starting out, do you notice that Peter says, uh, Jesus says to him, I would like you to become a fisher of people. Now this is quite interesting, that when Peter becomes a disciple, he does not become a disciple to simply go to synagogue and sing hymns. Jesus is about changing the world, and he's inviting people to come with him and help do it. So the good news and the bad news especially if you signed up not knowing this, is that Jesus has asked you to follow him because he wants you to be a blessing for, to others. To be a Christian is to actually give away yourself for somebody else. The word agape, that's agape, Christian love, means that when you seek the love of the other above yourself. That's what God does. He seeks our welfare rather than his. That's what Jesus did. And he asked us to do the same. So um, he said, you will be a fisher 
of people, or fishermen in the old English, uh, the AV, King James Version. So, I think it's really interesting to ask in one's prayer and reflection, Lord, you've called me to follow you. What is it you want me to do? With your help and the support of others, I'll have a go at it. And that's all that Jesus looks for. And if the church were full of people who are up for that, wouldn't it be wonderful? Well, I mean, there are lots like it, but if there are many more like it, that the thing that unites us is the saying, I'm not quite sure what Jesus has got me to, for me to do this week or this year. Wouldn't it be great to find out when it's clear? Well, a pause now then before we go on to the next section. So if you'd like just to, in a moment's quiet, just draw some thoughts together and offer a prayer, please do, and I'll move on in about two minutes. Lord Jesus, thank you that as you sought out Peter, so you sought out us. And we ask that we, like Peter, will be open to what you wish to do in us, through us, and with you. And we thank you that nothing we've done in our past can get in the way of that or inhibit it. And we thank you, in your name we pray. Amen. So, course number two. This is not the main course. The main course is the one you're doing. But the next one is, is slightly um, shorter, which would be good to know. And that is Simon learning. How do disciples learn? And we, if you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 1. And if we look on the next slide, you'll see how that chapter 9 um, opens out. At the beginning of chapter 9, we've got uh, Jesus sending out the 12 with power and authority. And then they come back having ministered, and Jesus feeds the 5,000. And then Jesus asks, verse 18, who do, you, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who answers, God's Messiah. And Jesus goes on in the next bit, verses 21 to 27, to explain what that's about. And then eight days later, in verse 28, he goes up the mountain with Peter, John, and James to pray. And his face was changed, and he stands there with Moses and Elijah. And Peter, half asleep, volunteers, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. And the voice from the cloud speaks. So that's a story quite well known. So let's work through it from Peter's point of view, starting in verse 1 of chapter 9. Jesus called the twelve. The twelve included Peter. 
Remember when Jesus, we're praying in Luke 6, uh, 12, uh, Peter's name first too, by then he's already a lead disciple. When Jesus called the twelve, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom and to heal those who were ill. And off they went. Verse 6. They went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now, just put yourself in Peter's shoes. What do you think it was like? Could it have been like this? They went out in pairs, so he and somebody else. They tootled up to this village and they say, right, they said, now what does Jesus do when he arrives? Well, he used to go to where people gather in the market. Right, we'll do that. Right, said, um, we're sitting here in the market. What did he do next? He used to talk to them about how the kingdom of God's coming. Well, let's do that. Okay, so listen, folks, we've got news. The kingdom of God, we've waited. it's about to draw near. Is it really? And a crowd gathers. And they said, somebody at the back says, it's all very well. When the kingdom of God comes, he's going to bring healing, isn't he? Yes, they say. Right, well, here's a man at the back who's lame. He's been lame forever. Where's this kingdom of God then? Can you do anything about it? And at that stage, what do you think Peter thought? Grief. Yes. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so he whispers to the other disciple, what does Jesus do? Well, he just went and prayed and it happened. Right then, let's go. So the two of them go out to the back of the crowd. There's this lame person. And they look at each other. And they say, Jesus says, God is love and he wants to make things better and he's coming to break into our experience and he's going to make a difference. May God make a difference in your life right now. And the, and the lame person, and they're looking at that, and the whole crowd, of course, is, watch this. And the lame person gets up. And Peter goes, And the other disciple says, hey, that wasn't bad. Let's do it again. <laughs> and so, these disciples who'd never done it apart from... It was Jesus who was doing this. Now Jesus, who'd been filled with the Spirit and given the power, gave to them power to do it. And they, for the first time, on their, were out on their own, ministering and showing people what the kingdom of God was like. So, I would think, after two or three healings, a few deliverances... Um, they would be on a roll. They'd be, come on, on to the next and by that. So after a week or however long it was, uh, and they, they, went, they had to make their way back. Can you imagine these group, these pairs streaming back in from the countryside, saying to each other when they met up, you won't believe what happened. Yes, we will. And then they say to Jesus, Jesus, when we prayed, you won't believe what happened. And Jesus says, won't I? <laughs> they were really excited. They'd seen God at work and they had been part of it extraordinary. They learned by seeing, and then Jesus said, go and do it. I'm with you. I will devolve to you the power of the Spirit, and I'll explain about the Spirit when you're a bit further on in your Christian discipleship, but that's, that's enough, and off they went. So they come back, and then Jesus has a big crowd around in 5,000 and gets the evening, and Jesus feeds them. And here, the first bit of the I'm not sure I can handle this creeps in. Because if in the feeding of the 5,000, what happens? Jesus said, um, 5,000, what do we do? And they say, well, send them home, Lord. No, 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 said Jesus. You feed them, or if you can't, I will. And then 
we get to the stage where they go up onto a hill, verse 18. Jesus is now praying, and he says to them, who do the crowds say? And again, Jesus was really interested in what they thought. Who do you say I am? And what does Peter say? You are the Messiah. You're God's Messiah. You're the one. And Peter's right. He's got it. He's seen it. He put two and two together. And he said, yep, you're the one. And then Jesus says, okay, now let me, there's just the three of them, James, Peter, and John, this little inner core of the disciples. Let me explain in this area what the kingdom of God looks like. It, it is actually to do with suffering and death and my death. And do you notice, when after he said that, <laughs> silence. Peter doesn't say a word. James doesn't say a word. John doesn't say a word. This is completely unexpected. They cannot make head nor tail of what Jesus is saying. And then a bit later, they go up a mountain, verse 28, eight days later. And as they were, Jesus was praying, and, he, and the Moses and Elijah were there alongside him, they saw Jesus and his glory. It was almost as if, for a moment, Jesus lifted the curtain and said, this is what I'm really like, and then lowered the curtain again. Master, said Peter, verse 33, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Mm. Well, there's the practical business, huh? Lord, We've just seen you in glory. It's great to be here with you. Now, let's put up some shelters. If you're going to put up shelters, what does that mean? You're going to settle. You're going to stay there. So, a little, Peter had understood something, but not everything. No. So, this time, it's not Jesus, but it's his heavenly Father who helps Peter. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. And these are the key words. Listen to him. So you've got Peter saying, Lord, let's do this. And this voice from heaven says, just listen to Jesus, will you, fellow? The voice from heaven has spoken once more, once before, at Jesus' baptism. Do you remember? And do you remember the words that were spoken then? How does it run? Sorry? You are my beloved son. The voice from heaven is addressing Jesus. His father is saying to his son, and others just over here. But who is being addressed here? It's not the son. Who is being told to listen to him? The disciples. The key to growing as a Christian is to be listening to Jesus. Well, that's what Simon Peter worked out bit by bit. Seeing there, he was healed and delivered. Uh, he worked out his Messiah. God helped him do that. Didn't understand about the prophecy. Simon Peter, John and James, they said, uh, saw Jesus in glory and then listened to my son. This is my son. Listen to him.
What resonates with disciples today? Discipleship is getting it wrong and getting it right and getting it wrong and getting it right. It's learning. It's, it's that the literal word is to learn. Um, here, what we've got is Peter getting it right sometimes. You are God's Messiah. Getting it wrong. Let's stay up here with you. And the solution is to listen to Jesus. I think this is where Peter's entrepreneurship, I think, let him down. An entrepreneur is somebody who makes up their own mind and decides that's where it's going to be. And I, and I think that it's very like, uh, you know, Birmingham was described as the city of a thousand trades in the 19th century. And it was. There were workshops all over the place making things. And you could buy things from Birmingham all across the world. Fantastic. And so certainly in Birmingham, and I think more likely in the West Midlands and more generally, there is this attitude that we will do it, we'll make it. And, and for some people, I mean, somebody, I think, almost put it like this. That if you're a black countryman or a Birmingham businessman, um, you're always willing to give God a hand if he needs it. Do you know? You don't follow him or, or submit to him, but you're, I, I, I don't mind. Oh, no, you just say the word, I'll be there. And the number of people who've mended church lawnmowers, you know, who don't go to church, all that sort of stuff. So what we've got here is a mixture of those taking decisions so they know what to follow and what we see in, in Peter. How do, we, how do we balance it? So if we go to the next slide. From Jesus' point of view, this is what he saw. So let's work it through and then we can draw the threads together. Jesus gave them the power for their training mission. We've seen that. And as a result of what they could do with what Jesus had given them, he then says, I can ask you now, who do you say I am? He'd shown them enough now to say, I think you ought to have got the picture, so who am I? Who do you say that I am? And Peter gets it. Jesus explains the kingdom of God is not as people expect, and then gives them more of a glimpse of himself with Moses. And Peter misunderstands. He's, he just doesn't get it. There was a book written when I was a new Christian called The Gospel Blimp. I don't know if anybody here has read it. You needn't. <laughs> it described a small church uh, on a big housing estate. And there were a number of new Christians who were really wanting to share their faith. And they prayed about it. And one of them was an enthusiastic ballooner, a balloonist. Can you imagine? Anyway. He said the best way of telling people on this state that God loves them is to get an airship and to get up into it with lots and lots of little tracts and things and to fly this airship over the estate, dropping the tracts. And people would say, God really loves us. Look, what's just coming out from them? And the story goes on that um, they did it and it didn't work. <laughs> it was somebody's bright idea. So instead of listening, they decided they would, make it, they would work it out themselves. Um, in fact, there was uh, another example. was that uh, I, I knew a person, a girl, who was really keen to get married to a particular person. 
and she prayed about it a lot, as, as, as you would as a keen Christian, and she had this picture of the two of them standing together under a waterfall and interpreted that to mean God is saying that, that it is, this is the way forward. And she went to this guy and said, God has told me um, that uh, you are going to marry me. And this guy was a, he's quite a wise Christian, really. He said, well, thank you for sharing that. I'd just like to share the fact that he hasn't told me that. <laughs> Corporately, for those of you who have been on PCCs at some point in your existence, I'd like to describe for you a completely mythical PCC. I've never been to your PCC, that's all right. They gather together in a room at eight o'clock. The vicar comes in and gets out the Bible and reads a verse and says a prayer. And they start working through the agenda. And if you're very astute, you don't listen to the prayer, you listen to what the prayer is signifying. And what the prayer signified is this. It's all dressed up in biblical language, but it actually boils down to this. God, please will you do what we are about to decide. Thank you very much. And the number of committees, Christian committees I've been on that work like that is just astonishing. We work it out and then we present God with a solution and said, it's, you know, we'd like to do it, Lord. Over to you now. Oh, really? <laughs> the word here is listen to him. The thing that encouraged me about APC at the moment is we had that time of listening. For what is our vision? I don't know what the vision for here is. And, and it's good that through the people endeavouring to listen, we believe God will show us that. And there will be cross-checks, so it'll, it'll gradually emerge and we will be able to to own it together, listening to him. So, in your life, when you get enthusiastic, what can we learn from Peter? That we walk with Jesus, but it's good to listen. If you find listening hard, find somebody else who's having a go at it and compare notes. And then you'll be able to work out whether it was the Holy Spirit that spoke to you or whether it was the curry you had last night. We are fallible people, aren't we? Uh, people say, have you got a hotline from God? No, but God does speak, and he's spoken to me and to other people I know. But I can't guarantee that I've got it right. I'll offer it to others, and they can check it. So the secret that Peter offers us for wanting to grow as Christian is in those three words, listen to Jesus. Okay. Any comments on that? Does that cross-check with your experience? I think there is a natural desire to stay in the presence of the Lord and worship, and I, I expect that was at least part of what uh, was being talked about. Um, but building shelters had a far more permanent element than that, I think. Um, and, and it was, a, it, again, it was... Uh, Jesus didn't ask for it. It's, it's Peter, the practical businessman, saying, I think if we do this, it'll work well, you know working with the angle before he's done any listening. I think that's what's going on. And I tell you, church leaders are brilliant at it. Um, I am mayor culpa, including me. Thank you. Right, well, nice that you sat there and I've done all the work. Well, no, a lot of it. What I'd like to do is invite you to have a go yourself. I'd like to look at, if we just wind on a slide or two, 
and a bit more. One more slide. There we are. I'd like us to look at the way Peter lets Jesus down and how Jesus treats him. It's quite a full section. The bits we need to look at, however, are only uh, in that second, fourth, and sixth segment. So the overview of the story is Jews is planning to betray Jesus. Uh, they share the Passover meal. Then Jesus prays for Peter. He, he won't, his, won't fail him. Then they go to Mount of Olives. Jesus is arrested. Then on, Jesus goes with, sorry, Peter goes with Jesus into the courtyard, denies him and weeps bitterly. Then Jesus before Pilate and then the women, Luke 24, going to find the empty tomb. And we only need to go as far um, as verse, let me just check, we don't need to do 52 uh, for this evening. We just need to go as far as um, verse 34. It's, so we need to look at 24, 1 to 34. And what I'd like to suggest we do is we get into little groups of about maybe 8 or 10, and you could self-select. The beta groups, if you'd like to stay together, that would be great. Um, and then you just agree amongst yourselves, if one per there are three passages to read, uh, if, if you get three readers out of your group, and then I'd like you just to say, well, let's now play this through, imagining we were Peter. How would it seem to Peter? What's going on for Peter? And go through those three passages, and then go through the same passages, say, what was this for Jesus? And then at the end, I'll give you a little um, sound to say, uh, we've just got about uh, uh, 10 minutes left. And, and could you use two or three minutes just for quiet or prayer, if you'd like? And then, we'll, then we'll just come together and, and I'll give you one thought with which uh, to finish. Does that seem reasonable? Doable? Lovely. Well, now, would you like to just find a group and create it? Ex nihilo. Well, I think we've just about reach the point where we have to draw to a close in groups. I, I apologise. We did get into groups slightly later than intended. And I'll have a word with the speaker for next week. Um, next week there will be more time and we'll do a proper sort of feedback session. The great thing is that there's no right answer. It's not like arithmetic, this. This is saying, Lord, what do you want to say to me through this? Let's pray. We love you a bit and as best we can and we are not awfully good disciples sometimes. Lord we thank you for your graciousness, your kindness your patience and occasionally your discipline and we pray that you'll put within us a new freedom that as we follow you as our Lord we'll be willing to take risks like Peter and so tonight we pray particularly you'll help us in that task of listening to you. Attune us to the voice of the Spirit. Help us as swimmers learn to swim, to sense when we are being addressed. And then with your help to do something with it. This prayer we offer together in your name. Amen.